Thank you so much, all of you, for being here today and all of the trusted servants that put stuff together behind the scenes and everything. My name is Sandy. I am an alcoholic and a woman in recovery. And I am really honored to be here today um, and to know so many people here. Yeehaw! That's uh, pretty awesome. All right. So here's what I know. Um, if your story isn't like mine, don't worry. Look for the similarities, not the differences, and um, look for the feelings, because that's what we all have. My sponsor early on taught me we have a feelings disease, therefore we got to have a feelings recovery. So um, look at the feelings, maybe not the facts. So to qualify uh, my sobriety date is August the 4th of 1984 and for that I'm very very grateful um, yes I was three when I got sober okay um, it's an honest program I was not uh, I got sober three months before my 24th birthday uh, so I was pretty young um, I was born and raised in Tulsa Oklahoma my parents I uh, did not expect to have another child. I have three siblings, uh, two brothers and a sister. They're all much, much older than me. Um, my mom and dad were 35 when my mom came down with the flu that just wouldn't go away. And I'm still here. <laughs> so um, my father was, well, he died when I was 14. So I, I can't tell you whether he was an alcoholic or not. Um, I can I only tell you, share my experience with him um, is that as a child, my job uh, was when he would come home from work to stand at the door with a glass of wine waiting for him to come in so that when he did come in, I could stir it with my finger and lick it off, you know? And so that's what a dutiful wife does, right? Oh, did I happen to say I was like three and four? Hmm, interesting. Um, yeah, I was very much my father's surrogate wife. Um, and one of the things, because I'm not going to talk a lot of specifics, um, just know that incest is a part of my story, sexual abuse is a part of my story, um, depression is a part of my story. I don't think you can be physically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually abused and not have some depression. I, I don't know. I don't know. I know I did and do. Um, but uh, anyhow, so when I was four years old, my dad had his first heart attack. Um, he was a traveling salesman, so he was gone a lot. Um, and so he, and he never went to church. I mean, we didn't go to church. Church was not, not important to us at all, whatsoever. However, when he had his first heart attack when I was four, he found God. And from then on until he died 10 years later, we were in the church more than we were not in the church. Now, when you 
have some of the stuff that many of us have, that didn't really go well um, with me, you know, but it was what it was in my family because my father was had such a bad heart. Um, we couldn't have feelings around him, especially anger or anything that would, you know, make him feel bad, sadness, anger, any of that, because it would make him have a heart attack. Um, so for 10 years, we, I was invisible. From the time he had his first heart attack, the only thing that was important in my family of origin was my father. Everything catered around my father. Um, but he still had affairs because I know this because he would, when I was uh, in kindergarten, he would take me early to school uh, when in reality I didn't go to school. He would just keep me in the car while he went into our church secretary's house and screw her and um, then come out and take me to school. Um, and when it was really, really cold, I got to come inside and watch cartoons while they were fucking in the back. Um, anyhow, whatever. That's my father. He was just uh, a good Christian man. And uh, yeah, bite me. So, but he, but I was, he was my life. He, because I don't even, rem I have so few memories of my childhood, just so few, but I just, he was so dynamic and charismatic. And in many ways, I am my father's child. He was very outgoing, never met a stranger. Um, and I'm grateful that I got that part of him. You know, there's other parts of him that I got to that I didn't want. They were still attached to him, but um, it was what it was. And I was not alone in that. I remember being um, probably seven, six, seven years old. And when they would have a party and um, I would, of course, because I was so young, I was the first to go to bed and I would position myself between the mattress and the box springs so that it would look like nobody was home. Nobody was in that bedroom because I it was so unsafe. I didn't know who was going to come in. I didn't know what they were going to do to me. And um, it was just that's that's just how I was raised. Um, I didn't know that that wasn't normal. I uh, just had no idea. So um, pretty much we, we moved around a good amount. Um, by the time I was in seventh, eighth grade, um, we had lived in seven houses, I guess. Um, and but we always went to the same church. Gotta love it. Um, have to have some consistency in life, but uh, yeah, whatever. But I uh, loved, Mama, Mama used to tell me that she would find me after their parties, going through everybody's drinks and drinking them all. Cigarette butts and everything. You know, just kind of scoop them out and drink it. And that's from like four years on till he had his heart attack. 
it got so bad um, when I was about six, you know, so it is what it is. Um, and also during this time, a friend of the family, he was a teenager, young teenager, um, decided that um, he would give me attention. And attention's a wonderful thing, right? Well, his form of attention was to molest me for about four years. We had a um, pool table out in the barn. And so he would say, hey, you want to go play pool? That was our cue that he was going to go and rape me. Um, but because I didn't, that's the only, that's the only person that had been acknowledged I was still alive. So how could I say no to that? And I was a little kid. I was six, seven, eight, ten years old. I didn't know any better. Um, when we moved from the farm, we every we went to go move the pool table, and it was filled with snakes. And all I could think of was if anybody had ever gone to see or go on to play pool, they would have noticed. And I, I, I just hated that so much. I mean, it just hurt so much that I was so invisible. Um, anyhow, so I just got by in school. I just, you know, I just did the next indicated thing in front of me and I got by. Um, I really, when I moved into, when we moved into town, um from the country things changed for me people I was actually in school that people acknowledged me you know in sixth grade my gym teacher she said man you're the longest long jumper we got you gotta be here on Saturday and represent us you'll win the whole city well I said my parents won't let me I never told my parents I just didn't believe in myself you know, I just didn't believe in me. So um, that's basically my whole story. In, 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 in high school, um, I never knew who I was. I only knew what you wanted me to be. And um, I realized pretty early on that I was attracted to both men and women. But in my day, bisexuals were just people who couldn't make up their mind. And so it was another reason to hate myself. Just that's all I had when I got to you guys was just self-hatred. Um, I, I get through high school um, and I go to college and I get an associate's degree. So I've got an AA. I got my first AA, um, but I was drunk. And uh, then I went away to college and to Kansas and to a really small uh, Christian college, Methodist college. And I majored in music because it was easy for me. It was very, very easy. Um, and I didn't have to really practice which was not a good thing. 
Um, but it's what I did with everything, you know, if it, if it really takes much effort, forget it, I'm not doing it. Um, but I, I, I remember my first, one of my first uh, instructors saying to me, um, you're a diamond in the rough. Your voice is a diamond in the rough. And I didn't even care that he said that. I had another uh, voice instructor who said, who, who performed with the Metropolitan Opera. Um, and she said, if you would have just, if I could trust that you would apply yourself at all, I would recommend you for their summer program at the Met. But she knew I wouldn't. And that's just so sad, you know, just sad. So I got through college only from drinking and, and not giving up. So I have a bachelor's of alcoholism. I mean, a BA. And um, I decided I'm going to go out and I am because Jesus is the answer to all my problems, right? Bullshit. Um, I'm going to go to seminary. So I was going to go to be a youth minister and then go to seminary. And um, in that one year out of college, I attempted suicide. Um, I cannot tell you how many times, I mean, like every week I went and got drunk, every weekend, every weekend. Um, I am not, I was never a daily drinker, never. That is not my story, um, but I was always a daily thinker, and my thinking has been the hardest thing that I've had to change in sobriety. Um, so, because I was going to be a minister, my boss, who was the minister of the little bitty church we were in, said, you got to go to this chemical awareness seminar so you can be of service to your parishioners. I'm like, bite eh, me. Um, and so I went to this stupid ass two week fucking workshop. And after two days, I went to the facilitator. I said, uh, I got to go. I got to go. Y'all are, I, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but I got to go. What I didn't realize was that she was putting all, pushing all my buttons, every single one. And she said, let's wait till Saturday. Let's meet for 30 minutes on Saturday and kind of talk about your thoughts of why you think you need to go. So Friday night, which was August the 3rd, um, I went out and got my four twofers, uh, and if you don't, those of you that, I don't know if every country has two furs or not, but you get two drinks for the price of one. And so I have, the way I had to drink towards the end was I had to order my two two furs. And as soon as they delivered them, I said, give me two more. And so, because the first two that went down were to kill the pain in my liver. The third one I could almost enjoy. And then the fourth one is where I shine, you know, um, but I was not an alcoholic. Just saying. Um, so I had my 
three and a half drinks because I left a half of a drink on the table because I knew the next morning I was going to go meet with Rachel. And that way I could show her, I could prove to her, I'm not an alcoholic because I left part of my boots. Well, after three hours the next morning, not 30 minutes, um, I realized that I'm a drunk and I need help. And so um, I went into treatment and um, I had three huge secrets that nobody was ever, ever, ever gonna know. One, I had had an abortion. I had an abortion in, in college. Two, I had attempted suicide and was often suicidal. Um, my entire adolescence, I was suicidal every single day, every day. Um, and the third thing was I thought I was gay because we didn't have such a thing as bisexual, remember. Um, those are just people that can't make up their minds. So those were my three huge secrets. I was never going to tell anybody. Within 30 minutes of being in this treatment center, people talked about all three of them. I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Maybe, maybe I'm not alone. And um, so I went through treatment, 33 days of treatment. And um, towards the last week of treatment, my uh, therapist said, uh, you need to go to a halfway house. I said, I, uh, I don't want to. I can just go live with my mom. Oh, fuck no. <laughs> Your mother is so damn codependent. She's going to kill you. And which was true. And so I gave it a lot of thought and uh, pro, pros and cons, pros and cons. And uh, they sent me to a halfway house in Dallas, Texas. So um, I got the opportunity to sober up in Dallas. I mean, really on my own, even in a halfway house. But for me, find recovery. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. You know, I'm grateful that I got, I went through treatment. I'm grateful that I was in a halfway house for a while. Um, and, but I still didn't need you guys. I'll just spend, you know, my 30 days in the halfway house and then everything will be fine. Um, and they required you to go to meetings. And so I only went to the meetings that they forced me to go to. And I never got phone numbers and I never got names and I was never going to have a sponsor and never, never and uh, never. So on a Saturday, I'd been there three weeks on, and my world just caved in. I had feelings I did not even understand. And I had no numbers. I had no one. And I, it's a Saturday. Most, most of the other women in the halfway house were gone. There were like three people there. And I got all of their sponsors' names and numbers. And only one answered the phone. And she said, meet me at Preston Group, which was a huge group in Dallas. Um, I said, but it's only like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Nobody's going to be there. She said, yes, they will. I promise you. I'm like, but I don't, can't I just meet you at six o'clock? No. So I went to the Preston group and amazingly enough, 
there were lots of people there. There were people playing cards. There were people drinking coffee. There was even a woman in one of those political hats, the straw hat thingies. And, and uh, she signed me, registered me to vote. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and then at 5.30, the person who became my first, very first temporary sponsor came in. And um, that sponsorship did not work for me because she just was a little too different. Um, but it allowed me to get some sobriety, you know. So she, she was my sponsor for about three weeks. And, um, and then I found my sponsor. Her name is Doris, Doris B. Um, she saved my life. She taught me, by example, everything I know today, everything that I am today. And she said the stupid things like, um, don't worry about loving yourself, just let other people love you. Um, things like, when all else fails, work with another alcoholic. I just thought that was stupid. And all of the other damn slogans that we had on the walls. And the one that got me, that tripped me up every single time was we had think, think, think. Now, if any of you have ever thought that, well, since thinking was my first drug of choice, actually suicidal ideation was my first drug of choice. My second drug of choice was thinking. Um, I said, oh, finally, what I can do? And she says, no, that one's not for you. I said, what the fuck do you mean that's not for me? It says, think, think, think. She says, yes, it says, think, think, think. It says, think it through three th times and then forget about it. I'm like, oh, fuck. You know, um, but I got a new, I got a family of origin. I started therapy. I started working on those issues that, held me bondage for so, so long. I found out that I am not invisible. I am not unique. I am not worthless. Um, I am a strong woman. And that is a good thing, you know? Um, and I'm lovable, you know? I, I just, I, none of those things were me when I got here makes me want to cry because that poor terrified wounded child that walked into AA knows she's loved today and is surrounded by people that know her that appreciate her And my rebellious teenager, you know, y'all have met her many times today because she's the one that cusses like a lot. Fuck you. <laughs> but I need her, you know, so I have learned to incorporate all of us, you know, and everything I know about life today, I learned here. I did not. I mean, Growing up, I, 
after my dad died, it was just me and my mom, I'm, my sister and my mom and I, so three women. And my sister's eight years older than me. And, you know, so when I started my period, sorry, guys, you could just not listen right now. Um, I thought I was dying. And my sister said, oh, good, you're a woman. And that was the entire conversation we ever had. Anyone. And the same thing was about using deodorant. The same thing was about brushing your teeth. The same thing was about everything in my life. The clothes that I wear, you know, everything. Um, and I, re I found out, I realized in sobriety that bi is who I am. Not, not just not making up my mind. You know, that that is a part of me. It's just one of my many, many, many labels. I am an incest survivor. I am a sexual abuse survivor. Survivor. Did you hear? Survivor. I have overcome those things today. Um, I am a compulsive overeater. Yeah, I know this. Um, I am just a lot of labels. But is that who I am? No, hell no. I'm Sandy. You know, oh, and I have to tell you, J is my last initial, but my last name is Saint, is Jolly. So when I went away, the night before I went away to college, my mom took me aside and she says, now, don't do anything to bring um, dishonor to the family name. I'm sorry, it's fucking Jolly. Really? What the hell? So anyhow, whatever. So um, I have been sober since August the 4th of 1984. Has it been easy? Fuck no. Fuck no. Because life isn't easy. In 1990, well, let's see. My other half and I got together uh, in 1988. I met him in AA. Um, and every single day, I, the first several months I kept saying, you know, you want to, uh, uh, do you think we'll get married? No, we're doing this thing one day at a time. Well, uh, yesterday we celebrated 34 years of one days at a time. So um, I am grateful because we have grown together and grown on each other. <laughs> You know, and it's it's a hell of a deal. We used to say this all the time in Dallas. It's a hell of a deal for a buck a meeting, you know, and, and that is so damn true for me. You know, I could I went to lots of therapy. I spent lots of money going to therapy, you know, but nothing, nothing. Takes for me has taken the place of AA. Without AA, I would not be here today. And I want to say something about the big book. Um, this is my original big book. So it's the third edition, not the fourth edition. Um, there's a lot of crap in the big book, but it is a lifeline for me. It was what I was teethed on. And I still, to this day, it means a, a, a bunch more to me than you can imagine. Um, I'm going to shift my take off the mirror for a second. Um, this is another book that is phenomenal. We are not all egomaniacs. If you don't have that, you need to get it. It's on Amazon um, because that's me. I am not an egomaniac. 
but we were t- I was taught that I'm an egomaniac having an inferiority complex, which I am sometimes, and I have had that because I, you know, but only when I try to be what you want me to be, not what I really am, you know? And this is the shirt my husband gave me several years ago um, for my AA birthday. And it is true. I am a sober bitch. Um, it, it, you say bitch like it's a bad thing. Oh, hell no. You know, I am a strong woman. And I think that that is why Marsha and I got along so well. Because <laughs> she too is a strong woman. Um, let's talk about COVID. Um, I am so grateful for Zoom. And without COVID, we pro- I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't know about Zoom. I wouldn't know about secular AA. Um, I mean, I grew up, we didn't have secular anything, you know? Um, one of the most wonderful freedoms I have found in sobriety is that this group of drunks can get me through anything. This and every other group of drunks I know can get me through anything. And that I am the first word of the first step is the most important word in my vocabulary, we. The second step, the second word that is really, really important to me is next. Because I'm always going, what's next? You know, if I get stuck into this moment, you know, what I focus on, I become. So if I focus on negative, the negative increases. If I focus on positive, the positive increases. And it tells me that in the book, you know? Um, And I need those reminders. I need all of those things to let me know that this thing in here, this computer, needed rewiring and it needed those tapes probably eight track um removed and replaced with healthy messages and i have i have done a lot of that now i hope i don't ever want to be done growing I don't ever want to arrive and know it all. You know, I am just one. We are all. I heard somebody in a meeting and I loved this. Um, We all have one vote in AA. Nobody gets two and nobody gets none. We are all equal partners in this journey. So if anybody ever tells you, you shouldn't be doing this, or you can't think that way, or yeah, whatever, tell them, no, I can do, I can feel, I can be whatever I want, because I got my one vote, just like you got your one vote. To me, that was a huge sign of healing and growth because I had 
no voice. I had no identity when I got here. Um, and, and today I do. And um, I want to read a couple of things from the book, the big book, because they're very, very things that are really, really important to me. Um, the first one um, is from Keys to the Kingdom. And that is, I love that chapter. Um, I would tell you that chapter page i mean the pages but they're in the third edition so whatever um but aa is not a plan for recovery that can be finished and done with it is a way of life and the challenge contained in its principles is great enough to keep any human being striving for as long as he or she lives we do not cannot outgrow this plan and it continues on. A, a complete change takes place in our approach to life. Where we used to run from responsibility, we find ourselves accepting it with gratitude that we can successfully shoulder it. That's called service work, y'all. Um, and then continuing on, and this is my favorite, three paragraphs of the entire book. The last 15 years of my life have been rich and meaningful. I have had my share of problems, heartaches, and disappointments because that is life. But I have also known a great deal of joy and a peace that is the handmaiden of an inner freedom. I have a wealth of friends and with my AA friends, an unusual, you know, we are very unusual, quality of fellowship. For to these people, I am truly related. First, through mutual pain and despair, and later through mutual objectives and newfound faith and hope. As the years go by, working together, sharing our experiences with one another, and also sharing a mutual trust, understanding, and love, without strings, without obligations, we are acquire relationships that are unique and priceless. And here is what keeps me coming back. There is no more aloneness with that awful ache so deep in the heart of every alcoholic that nothing before could ever reach it. That ache is gone and never need return again. Well, it doesn't say it won't return. It just says it doesn't need to. For me, it, it has come back many times, several times in sobriety, but I know what to do about it today. Now, there is a sense of belonging, of being wanted and needed and love. In return for a bottle and a hangover, we've been given the keys of the kingdom. And the last thing I want to read out of here is on what used to be page 449 to 452. So whatever it is in the fourth edition. Um, how important is it really? How important is it compared to my serenity, my emotional sobriety? And when I place more value on my serenity and sobriety than anything else, I can maintain them at a higher level, at least for a time being. So, that's me. I try to be the best that I can be today, 
but I am very human. I am fallible. I get cranky sometimes. I am a bitch sometimes, you know, uh, but mostly I'm a woman in recovery. I don't have any, all the answers. Sometimes I have no answers, not even for myself. That's why I keep coming back because I hear what I need from y'all. And I see that it works because I see you changing. So if you can change, I can change. I can be different. And that's what I got for now. Thanks for allowing me to be here. And thanks for listening.